Welcome mountain bikers. I'm Sean Spomer and this is Vital MTB's The Inside Line podcast. I'm proud to have a trail building, bike shredding guest on the show today. Steve Wentz of Momentum Trail Concepts joins us in Boise, Idaho in between excavator sessions as he carves out a new trail here in town. The trail is part of a Swimba project that has been in the works for some time and it offers up some new and exciting riding in our region. Stoked to have Stevie building it. You can see some of the photos of the progress on our site or on Vital MTB's Instagram feed. The Inside Line is proudly sponsored by Jensen USA, your online shopping source for bikes, riding gear, apparel, and components. JensenUSA.com has a fall riding essential shopping page they put together to keep you outfitted and on the trails as the temperatures drop. Use coupon code INSIDELINE, all one word, at checkout to receive 10% off qualifying items. Max's Tires will keep you and your bike connected to the trail with their wide variety of tread patterns, rubber compounds, and tire constructions. I'm still having a blast on an Asagai front tire with a Minion semi-slick out back on my daily driver 5010. The Asagai keeps the line choice while the Minion SS keeps things playful and exciting as it slides along for the ride. Hit up Maxis.com for all your MTB tire needs. And how rad is this? Our friends over at Santa Cruz Bicycles announced that their Paydirt initiative has named 16 organizations as the first funding recipients in the company's three-year, $1 million pledge aimed at trail building and mountain bike development across the globe. Hit up SantaCruzBicycles.com Paydirt to see the grant recipients, to apply for a grant yourself, or to learn more about this awesome trail funding initiative. Thank you, listeners. Thanks for your support of the show. Hope you're getting some good ride time in as winter creeps in. Enjoy the episode. Give your local trail builder a big, fat, socially distanced hug. <laughs> um, you're going to have to do the snapping because it's one of the many things I can't do. You can't snap? No. Shut up. No, no you, can't, you can't listen. <laughs> Before we went on our first date, and he can't snap. I can't whistle. That's pretty pretty awesome of him that he didn't spring it to on you after like after you're married. No, no, I I I let her know. Among many other deficiencies, I let her know. Yeah. Come come over here. Come over here. (laughs) Yeah. She should be in on it. So yeah, she, everyone will be in on it. Yeah. Moga's already recording. So. No, Moga's gonna make fun of me. Amanda's gonna like catch me when I'm lying. So. All right, Amanda, Amanda Wentz. Before Steve and I get into it, what did you just say? Steve made for you before you went on your first date. He made what's called the accomplice proposal, and it was a PDF document that outlined all the reasons why we should hang out. But also some re- he didn't want to, you know, so in there was things like, I can't snap. And he had his deficiencies in there, too. So. Yeah, I'm really bad at a lot of stuff, but I'm usually aware. Yeah. So I didn't want her to, I told her I'm, like, socially inept sometimes and all this stuff. And sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. <laughs> Maybe he exaggerated. But, but no, I, f- I didn't want to, I don't want to lie. I feel like everyone gets found out sooner or later. <laughs> yeah. So, so he told me that he could, I think, I think not whistling, not being able to whistle. I can't whistle. What? But I can't snap. I can't whistle and, either. And I'm really bad at blowing bubbles. Like, I, it's so difficult for me. 
Yeah, like takes all the neurons in my head to do it. Moga, have you ever seen them kiss? It has to be terribly awkward if they can't blow bubbles and whistle. It's like those cardboard cutouts. So that counts or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah. What was it called? The accomplice what? The accomplice proposal. Accomplice proposal. Yes, yeah, yeah. have it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was good. I'd, well, she's like, no, we're friends. We don't mess it up. So I had to make it like very clear that I wanted to not just be friends. Like I want to go out. Well, and I was joking, and I was working in an office at the time, and I was like, well, you have to submit... You just submit formal paperwork. That not just totally joking. Yeah, she, she said and it was a joke, but I did it. The next day, it. the next day, there, there it was. I was like, in my inbox, it was a PDF document. Yeah, I was like, ha! Photos. I'll show you. Amazing. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> I'll show it to you after. And it worked. Obviously, yeah, it worked. Yeah, it worked. It worked. Did you have to sign anything? There was no formal signature. Okay. No. no, no. There was signing. like mergers and stuff of like in the future. There's options for that. Yeah, mergers and acquisitions. For real? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, we need a copy of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was legit. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a way better intro than I have written up. Like, we're done. Let's just call it. Let's just go. That was sick. It's like a sponsorship proposal. <laughs> this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I can do doubles and triples, but I really, yeah. I cannot do front manuals. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Instead of, my toes. yeah. Instead of Turner bicycles, you cross it out and put Amanda. Yeah. What was your last name before? Richter. Richter. Yeah. 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 Is that all you did? Like your, bit, your your big crank proposal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is what I can't do. I can't do that. Like, well, this worked yeah. before. So no, maybe we'll try it again. I think there was some like Microsoft outline for uh, for a proposal, but it was different than like all the sponsors. Like relationship proposal. No, no, no okay, one had like that. Like a business proposal. Yeah, yeah, it was like a bri- it was snapping. a business thing. Okay. But uh, yeah. I remember all the sponsorship stuff back then. It was like, you know, I guess it's similar. You know, like you do plans, what races you're gonna do, what product do you need, and uh, no, this was like there were lots of stupid line items. Like, what do you do? Like, there's been God, like tons of deficiencies and cultural things like i don't go to concerts or anything like i don't know what bands are just even in the abstract i don't even know what they are yeah but but no it's i was like yeah you got to help me in this area so yeah. Oh, yeah i was like what percent of that kind of stuff is my responsibility what percent like uh-huh. i was responsible for the social calendar and then something about like after midnight it was like time and a half even. Are you serious? Did you cross anything out and like make adjustments or addendums or anything? I should have. Huh? I didn't even think. Oh, about I would that. have accepted, you know, no cross outs or other things. But yeah, she just said okay, so that's her fault. That's awesome. All right, we'll get into more of that stuff, but that's pretty sweet. So now I'm going to do my super boring intro after how cool that is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's my privilege to sit here with Mr. Steve Wentz and his wife, Amanda, and Mihai Moga sitting over there. This one's about Mr. Steve Wentz. He's a former U.S. Junior World Championship downhill team member, right? Yeah. Junior yeah, World. Ju- yeah, Junior National Team. Okay. Former World Cup downhill racer. Yep. Domestic U.S. racer, professional trail builder, right? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Would you say he is? Yeah, she's... Debatable. Okay, got it. Yep. 
No, Amanda's a bookkeeper, so some money comes in from trail building. <laughs> He's a mad consumer of M&Ms. Yeah. A longtime Vital MTV test rider. In 2004, he freeloaded a ride in my 2001 Chevy Malibu from the Calgary World Cup to Denver with Clay Porter sitting shotgun. Steve Wentz is a unique human being, especially now knowing about the proposal. But the one thing I want to hear about before we get into bikes and trails and injuries and all that, I want to hear your story again about being a door-to-door window salesman. I think that's the most important story for the audience out there to start with, besides the proposal. Um, that was, got a year and a half to just finance racing and life, basically. I didn't, I went to college for engineering just for a year, and I was like, oh, I definitely don't want to check my work or other people's work. Like, I knew I didn't want to do that as soon as I got in. And so I just started working, and so I sold windows, and I... What do you mean you sold windows? How did, you get, how did this come up? Did you just look in the paper? Like, what happened? Um, I don't, there was a guy, like, passing out pamphlets, like, here, do you want to work? Like, go do this. And I'd, I'd work some odd jobs, like some construction here or there or whatever, just to, you know, make money to go racing. And then I started, like... You know, everyone's probably had the people go up to the window or go up to their door and say, like, hey, do you want to buy windows, whatever. Those are the canvassers, and I was good at that, to go up to your door, get you to sign up for an estimate. Okay. Once you get good enough at that, then you kind of have a shot. Like, well, within this company, you have a shot to actually sell the windows. And so I, I think sales is a super important skill that, like, everyone should do. Because I, I hated the job. I hated having to, um, I hated having to like make people feel uncomfortable. It's like a tough thing with my personality. I wanted people to be happy and stoked. And what, were they uncomfortable just because some random person's coming off the street trying to sell them stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like okay. my, my job is to go into their house when they, they were told this would be a half hour estimate and no obligation, you know, not going to buy anything. My job is to go into the house and sit there for two hours and have them write me a $20,000 check. You know, so that's, that's a drastic departure from, hey, no, no, you know, no obligation, all this. And yeah. I, was, I was pretty good at it. It was like 35 or 40% sell rate for me. Man. So, which Dude. is like pretty high for, for that, like, uh, for that industry. Did it, did it take a long time to learn? Like what? Yeah. Cause the way I remember you telling me the first time was that you wanted this challenge of doing something you didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like degree. I, I like the challenge of it. Like the job, my boss was like, he was super gnarly, only cared about money, mm-hmm. but like I wanted the people to be happy and, and I believed in the product. It was really expensive, but really good. So, so that was easy. You know, I think if like you have products in general, you can have the cheapest thing or the best thing. Those are easy to sell. You have something in the middle and that's, there's competition all over the place. That's super hard, but we had like the best thing that was the most expensive. So, so I thought it was easy to sell, easy for me to like sleep at night. Yeah. Like, yeah, these are expensive, but they're really good. And the company stood behind it. Okay. So, yeah, I wouldn't even buy it now. 
like i don't have the money to do it you know <laughs> like I, I wouldn't i wouldn't care enough you mm-hmm. know because um but some people with like million dollar homes like yeah they should have this mm. you know it, it's i don't know people justify stuff all different ways but yeah like it financed a bunch of racing and i thought it was it was good to to really learn what works and learn how people how people like change you know during uncomfortable times or if they feel good about you this or that were you taught how to read the people like if like could you tell going into it if you could make the sale no i you have an idea like people ask certain questions you know and then you have a really good clue when someone's like uh so so how long will it take to like put these in they're they're like way closer to buying than someone who's like so what's this cost you know that's a really different question the person who's asking you know when can you put this in they've already imagined themselves with the product so so that's really different And, and you'd have an idea of what what they would do but um usually there's two people involved you know usually it was a husband and wife or you know two partners and sometimes a single person but you know sometimes it's hard to figure out who who calls the shots in the relationship it's the person who brought the proposal no who signs the proposal right? mm-hmm. yes thank you who accepted yeah. the proposal yeah. that's right all right enough window talk i just think that story is fascinating that you went door to door and sold twenty thousand dollar windows to people i think that's so cool yeah i know it's uh I I th- I think all people should do sales. They should work in a restaurant. They should be <laughs> treated well and treated badly and hopefully come on the good side of it just cuz it's I don't know. It's good life experience. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to bikes. We're doing the full pull from the day you were born to now. We're covering every single day up until then, right? But seriously, how'd you get into bikes? I feel like I never even got into bikes. I was, it wasn't a day where I was like, oh, I love them. Okay. You know, yeah. I think I was just like a normal kid and I played soccer a bunch and um, tennis, I was running, whatever. Bikes were part of that too, but I would just ride around the neighborhood like everyone else. It wasn't. Just like a department store BMX bike kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, mm-hmm. just like a BMX bike that was probably 100 bucks or 150 bucks, something that was totally normal, wouldn't stand out. But then after a while, I got a, I got a hardtail. No, it was full rigid, full rigid, obviously 26 inch wheel. And I was probably 12, 12 or 13 at that point. And it was an old diamond back, purple and black, I remember. And my parents are both, uh, they were teachers at one point. My mom did some real estate, but we'd always take some cool summer trips and I remember we went up to Mammoth and we saw, it must have been one of the Nationals or something like that. This okay. was probably 90, 93, 94 or something. It's got to be 96. I was younger than that because I remember mm. the Olympics in 96 and I was super into it in 96 okay. and I would have been 12. Okay. So I was probably like 10. <laughs> um, see, I'm bad with numbers too. <laughs> but... um no, I saw the race, and, and I remember from my parents, they're like, oh, your eyes just lit up. You mm. saw this bike race. And I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Mm. 
And so that that Diamondback eventually it got got me into like an XC race, and I did cross country for for a few years. And uh, it's all down in SoCal. Like yeah, all down in, all down in Southern California. Mm-hmm. We'd go up to uh, Big Bear. There was a little uh, Mount Sac race around Mount San Antonio College and close to Pomona. And so we did that stuff, and I would upgrade the hell out of that bike that old hardtail and uh i got a front suspension fork for it it was a quad five i believe (laughs) like i remember i would i'd read all the magazines like voraciously and and i wanted the quad 21 but it was like too expensive (laughs) so i got the quad quad five (laughs) i think it was silver yeah just the last yeah yeah Yeah. just Uh the last and i remember pushing on it like i got it installed on the bike and got it all set up would you do the work yourself or did take it to a shop to have them do it do you remember i don't think i could do the work at that point yeah but i remember riding around and i told my parents i was like wow it's so cool it feels like you have a flat tire like i was <laughs> i was so stoked and almost like felt worse but you know <laughs> then it, i was just so excited yeah. and so that was like first foray into suspension okay and so yeah that was that bike got stolen eventually and then I went six months or I went a long time without a bike. I was really? kind of working and saving up, graduating middle school. I got a full suspension, like mountain cycle. Well, really? Yeah. Like yeah. San Andreas or something? Uh-huh. It was yeah. a San Andreas. Uh-huh. And so it was like a big jump, but I was like putting nice parts on the hardtail. And so I, I had years on just a hardtail, okay. which I think most kids should have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but... Was this just for XC? Had your like was uh-huh. downhill coming into it at all? XC and downhill. Okay. Like I would, well, it was, it was yeah, 90s, like late 90s, and so I would do everything on one bike, and then I got the San Andreas, and I'd still do everything on one bike, mm-hmm. you know, because I, we couldn't afford two bikes, but then um, I still wanted to race XC, and I'd flat pedals and a chain guide, and I'd go race the. <laughs> Go race the XC. How'd you do? I don't think I ever won anything. Like, I I was racing in the junior X category at one point Mm -hmm. um, after the San Andreas. But I remember this race, like, very vividly that it was was right by Raging Waters. Um, Anyway, there's, like, C-Track around there. And all I could do with a relatively low seat and single front chain ring, I could only stand up and pedal. Mm-hmm. And when you're 14 or whatever, like you don't get tired the same way. You just go <laughs> slower, <laughs> but I just, I just keep hammering up the Hills and I pass a few people here and there. I didn't really register to me and the pass a lot on the downhill. Cause I'd always start out slow. And at the end of the race, this guy came up to me, he's or a kid, you know, one of my competitors and, 13 14 year olds whatever he's like well you passed me on your downhill bike and i quit he just quit racing because just just he, for the day yeah. just for the day oh, like he quit the race he quit that, the race okay. that day <laughs> like i wouldn't want i would never want anyone to quit like biking <laughs> but i was like i felt bad i was like oh man that sucks you know <laughs> and i was like mid-pack i yeah. wasn't doing anything great but he was like that guy was suffering too yeah you know i just like we're both suffering. I just went up the hill a little quicker. Uh-huh. And uh, he's like, yeah, I quit. So, but I was like, eh, like all you can do with a hard gear is like 
stand up and sure, mash or walk and yeah. I didn't want to walk. I hate walking. So that was like my last kind of memory of XC. Wow, dude. It's pretty <laughs> it's like, awesome. <laughs> yeah. I just quit. I just stopped racing. Yeah, I just stopped stopped the race. <laughs> stopped the race. Yeah. But um but no it was downhill XC and then eventually just downhill. Yeah, how did it how'd you morph into downhill? Like one of the I didn't know who you were, but I'm pretty sure at the first Sea Otter I went to, you were there and you were on the Cheetah team. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. how did how did things develop into kind of being on a team like that and making your way into more yeah, serious th- racing? There was a little uh, team called the All Pack Team that I was a part on with the Kissels. Like, they were an awesome family in SoCal, and then it morphed into. Uh, the cheetah team this is from InCycle, who still has a team now okay and so then cheetah was like the first team i was on where like i was part of a team yeah. uh, part it of a team super is factory looking and like really pro yeah they they came from bmx okay like those guys came from bmx and they they had good pretty good bikes and it was really small and they they depended a lot on their riders and there were only like four of us um so that team was probably five or six miles from where I lived. And I just ride my downhill bike over to the shop and like talk shop with like the owner, mm-hmm. you know, and talk about what I wanted in bikes and stuff like that. And it was almost like my first foray into testing when I was probably 15, 16, because hmm. he would try different swing arm lengths. And I remember trying some he just give me stuff and not tell me what it was and i was like i like this one i don't like that one was he making the bikes yeah whoa i didn't realize that okay yeah Yeah. they'd make them he had them heat treated and like the stuff was there yeah um it was all in i think covina west covina something like that and it was really cool to be i felt important you know like i was kind of a nerd in school like i i I always thought I was kind of on a different path. Like I didn't care about driving a car. I didn't care about going to movies. Bikes were kind of like my escape. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm like, I fit in with this, mm-hmm. with this crew. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was really cool. And Cheetah was, they're like heavy downhill focus. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go into downhill cause of Cheetah, but I like really, really like downhill racing. And I thought it was just super awesome. And I don't know, it just kind of happened at the same time. Were you tasting success in racing being on that team? Or was it just fun to be on the team? Like, how was, how was it Yeah, there, there was success. And it it's weird, you know, like you always have your little bubbles and you don't know what it's like outside that bubble when you're really young. Like, there's a lot of good competition in Southern California then. You know, there obviously is now, but I would do pretty well. Um, I would almost never win. I hardly ever won anything, hmm. but I'd always be pretty good um, in the local downhill stuff. And then eventually it was like I'd be top five a lot as far as the national races goes, but never never in the top three or hardly ever, hmm. you know? So they were, they were really good, good guy, like Cody Warren and, um, Corey Gustafson. I think he's a surgeon now and hmm. like lots of other good racers ahead of me. Yeah. 
but like I squeaked myself onto the national team and for a couple of years. First year I was hurt and didn't go, but I was still like, it was cool to be named to the team. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 18, I went to Austria and uh, I don't, I don't even want this to be de- depressing because like I'm, I was stoked to go, but that's when I really saw a different level of racing mm. when I went to junior worlds in Austria. Okay. Was that at Caprun? Yeah, in Caprun. Yeah. And it, it was muddy and I was fine with the mud. Like I can ride that stuff all right. But I remember vividly this one section with a bunch of roots and seeing um, people try different lines. And then Sam Hill came through who I'd, I'd heard of him, mm-hmm. you know, and he like rode through these roots and like up, a, he like hipped off a tree and did it really fast. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, well, that's a different game. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm, yeah. I was never a dummy. Like I was a smart kid and, but it's, it's so weird to, to go from your team, like the cheetah team saying like, yeah, you're good. You can go like compete on the world level and all this. And it's like, yeah, the national team picked me and you know, your ego gets like bumped up a lot. And uh, my parents were always super supportive. Mm -hmm. But then I went there and it's like, I just got my ass whooped, like Mm -hmm. real bad. Mm -hmm. And like I crashed and I didn't mind that I crashed. My time was bad because of that. But I just saw a different level of riding that I accepted like really quickly. Like that's not going to be me. Hmm. And I almost quit. Like just all together, like racing all together. Yeah, I almost quit. Yeah, but but I didn't. Like I just loved riding my bike. Mm-hmm. But racing is like a it's vicious if you value yourself on results. What? I mean, you love riding bikes. You go over there and see how gnarly it is. But what kept you racing locally versus just riding bikes? Was it? Was that still the time where it's kind of the only option to, to ride downhill bikes is to Yeah, to yeah, like I I love the progression of like oneself mm-hmm. through riding and and it's weird like we were talking to Amanda earlier and I guess my summation of downhill racing and bike riding, it's kinda like when she we were both at this race, it was Crested Butte, I think five or six years ago. And we just started going out and we we're at this race. And she's like, do you think I should race? And I was like, well, I, you know, downhill racing is expensive. You get hurt and you get depressed half the time, you know, <laughs> and, and she's like, sign me up. So, um, so I thought, I thought like, no, I'd convince her not to. Cause I think racing is like kind of dumb. Yeah. Like I love it, but I do think it's kind of dumb. Uh-huh. Um, but like, I really think that, but she's like, why do you race? And I was like, well, I, I want to do this section this way. And I go to a race and like, there's something that's going to trouble me or whatever. I want to do it. Sure. I want to have like a good run. If you do well, that's great too. But I want to go through this section and like nail it. And when you have a clock on and it's like a real race, not like going fast on Strava, Mm -hmm. you got this time, you better do it right now. And, and I really like that pressure. Okay. Like, that's cool. So racing to me is like overcoming some fear I have. Hmm. And 
And it took a little while, but I realized I didn't have to race and do well against anyone else to still have that. Hmm. Okay. Because, yeah, you obviously kept working on it. Like you were Mm -hmm. racing with Sven and them, and you kept like a privateer life going for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool team. Like, I mean, Neathling was on the team, and Sven and Anka, and Tony G was here in Uh Boise, and um, Mm -hmm. like a a bunch of guys. And so... I was good enough to have some offers and I had good support. I mean, that was Honda America fact, like sponsored that team. And they gave us an element. I had stuff paid for like travel stipend, got bikes and like the Michelin support was super good. Then, Mm -hmm. um, that was feeling like the most factory ever you come in, you flatted, like drop your bike off. They switch everything. Mm. Your bike's clean. It's aired up. Here you go. New tire. (laughs) You know, that's like, that's some good support. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I had good support. I really enjoyed it, but that was the first turning point where, I mean, at 18, 19, I had to like toughen up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, well, I, I'm not going to make a living at this, but I should do it well. And I want to try to like, I had no plan mm-hmm. to like make something of it, but I just knew I loved it. Yeah. So I wanted to do it better. And, what's kind of the when did you wreck your back at mammoth like um that was oh four okay yeah that's kind of this there's a few years after like it it's weird i had um i would think most people would see like a general upward trajectory but it was kind of like a roller coaster for me Hmm. like you go to you know, 15, 16, people are like, oh, you're good, or you get good results, and then get named to the world's team, and you're on a high, and then it's like, oh, those guys are real good. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the guy who won the year before, like, Ben Corey, he's, like, a ripping rider. And then Sam Hill won, and G was second, and all that when I was there. And mm-hmm. Hanna could have won, but he was injured or something. Mm-hmm. But... Then I was like in some lows and I got up again as far as like, yeah, I was having fun. Like I could earn some money, like a little bit here and there at the Mountain States Cup, but I was just semi-pro then. Mm-hmm. And the the funny thing is as a semi-pro, I still had to have an international license and I made, made the finals in a couple World Cups. Mm-hmm. And then I was doing better and better and I was like, like on the cusp of like U.S. national team for seniors. I was probably seven through 11 guy, you know? And, and then, and that's when the nationals were like Burrell was there. Menard was there. Like it was a big deal. And then Oh four. Yeah. In October, I broke my back at mammoth on the aptly named coffin jumps. I was close. I was almost in the coffin, (laughs) but, um, but no, I was yeah. practicing and I just got lazy. Yeah. Walk us, walk us through that, that um, experience. Cause that's, it's, it wasn't formative then, you know, like I, I mean, I was racing to get in the top 10 and I think that's when Del Bosco won it, but he had it rescinded. Uh-huh. Um, but there are lots of guys going real fast, you know, like Duncan was going real fast and I think he won it um that year and so i'm like i gotta haul ass i gotta i want to do well and um but i was still like a young guy compared to 
Carter, Hausman, you mm-hmm. know, all the guys who are still racing. And so I wasn't doing anything crazy where I had something to prove, but I wanted to do well and I just messed up. Like I overcleared the first jump and it's described the jumps because they're oh, these different are, than usual. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're like they're really poorly built as far as like a run in. There's like a pretty big run in that most people would most non-racers i guess like i see bike park usage now and people like don't go that fast through a lot of stuff if it's loose or steep or whatever but you take almost any racer and if there's nothing that's going to stop your wheel you let it go of the brakes and so this was almost like a bike park section you know really early on that would allow a ton of speed and everyone's trying to like scrub these jumps and trying to get on the ground, you know, again, and there are four of them in a row. And I over, I just overcleared the first one and crashed in the second. Some people asked me later, like, were you trying to double them? And I was, I always joke, like I'd probably end up better for it <laughs> if I did. <laughs> you did try, yeah. No, and no, no one did that, but, um, yeah. but no, I, uh, I broke a lot of stuff. It was, um, I don't really remember any pain, but I'm, they didn't say I had a concussion, but I'm pretty sure I did. Um, but you weren't knocked out? No, I, don't, I wasn't knocked out. Not from every account. Like, people said I was lucid. I was in, like, a lot of pain. But I broke, I think it was five of the transverse processes off my back. I broke four ribs off my spine. I broke my cheek into three pieces. I broke my jaw. And the funny thing was, um, my wrist really hurt. Like in the hospital, I was like, my wrist hurts a yeah. lot. They're like, shut up. It's like, <laughs> your face is exploded, your <laughs> yeah. back's disintegrated. Like, yeah, and it, I heard like it, like I said, I, I don't know if it's uh, your body trying to shield you. You know, you don't remember a whole lot or if it was anesthesia from later, later on. But I don't remember that much pain, you know, and I think they... Uh, I heard they almost released me because I wasn't complaining too much pain, but then they gave me an MRI at Mammoth Hospital. They're like, oh, yeah, this guy's messed up. And so, dude, you could have been let go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, I was – and the the Vote family was awesome Hmm. there. They've helped out a ton of people in downhill stuff. But uh, Karen went with me to Reno. Like, I got the most expensive plane ticket I've ever had. And – so I went to Reno and long story short, I got surgery and my parents came up, you know, they're basically distraught. Yeah. Um, I didn't, and I didn't really know it then they hit it really well, hmm. but, um, but I had surgery and, and there was, there was no issue with like paralysis or spinal cord injury or anything. Well, I, I had really good surgeons. Like I trusted them. I was lucid enough to make, decisions and stuff and it was four or five days before we decided what we're going to do because there are some options i think of going to ucla or staying in reno Mm -hmm. and my parents were like they're the best people in the world but they um they're like what do you want to do do you want to stay here or do you want to go to ucla i was like no i like my surgeon here Hmm. i trust him Mm -hmm. and um that was jay jay halkey and like I would go to him for anything, hmm. but, but anyway, I, I told him, I was like, before I was like, I don't care what it takes. I want to race again. And like this PT or that PT, whatever, I don't care. Put the shortest rods in you can. 
And um, so, yeah, they, they like, cut my back open. got 50 staples, um, putting me back together. And going into surgery, like, I, they didn't know if I was going to be paralyzed coming out or not. Wow, really? Yeah, so that's, like, that was pretty heavy. Jeez, pretty heavy. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. Like, I have a very personal like very real i guess uh i don't even know what you call it i care a lot about jumps making them safe mm-hmm. i don't give a shit about anyone's excuses for why something's not good enough because like i know what happens when something's not good enough and it was my fault like it was totally my fault as the rider but like i know how trails can like tempt people to do the wrong thing Is is that what made you want to get into trail building? No. You, you obviously still raced after. Yeah, after I still that. raced. And I think it was like I'm really proud that I did a couple World Cups before. And I qualified for a couple World Cups after. Hmm. Like it's like, yeah, Brooke now, you know, and he's mm-hmm. like, he's on a different level as far as skill strength everything but um there are very few people that have like i think that bad of an injury that yeah um come back so like, i'm super proud of that but but in the in the moment i was just like yeah i just got hurt and train and go back to it it was that simple for me like i do you think youth was on your side to some yeah degree i think that? youth and some stupidity yeah you know like i when you're young you sometimes don't know what the hardship is so i I I learn a lot with hindsight. I'm pretty stubborn, but I think in that situation, that helps a lot. You know, it's it's good to be on a terrible bike and not know something better and just tough it out. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's good to. It's not good for anyone to get hurt, but if you have an injury, like, you know, like work work hard, do your PT, and do all that stuff. And I don't really believe in making excuses. Like, I'm sure there's some people that'll hear this like oh i didn't know his back doesn't move i try not because you still have all that stuff in there right Uh uh-huh yeah yeah i just try to i don't i don't believe in feeling sorry for myself Hmm. but um but yeah like i still raced after that and i i love it i can't get away (laughs) i feel like downhill racing is like an abusive relationship you know (laughs) like tempts you back like oh i'll i won't be that bad to you this time come on come on let's try it again Um, but yeah, it worked out just fine. And, but I built a pump track at, uh, at the fix to, to rehab. Cause I'd heard like, I'd heard McHanna built one mm-hmm. and, and he was training on that. I was like, oh, that seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know? So I built one of those at the fix in, uh, in Boulder. When's this like, oh, that was oh four. It was that late. Or yeah. that early, okay. Yeah, cause, uh-huh. well, because I broke my back in 04, and the doctor, he's like, you cannot jump. You cannot do anything until six weeks. Okay. But. Man, that soon, though? Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I hear, <clears throat> I would think if I slipped a disc or, you know, I, I hear about different back injuries, mm-hmm. and you tear ligaments, it's, I think it's worse. Yeah. 
Is this like all stabilized with the hardware and stuff. It's basically? stabilized with the hardware. Like I'll, I'll pay my dues when I'm 70, mm-hmm. but I figure they'll have good drugs by then. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, but no, I feel like you like bolt bones back together. It's not a big deal. It's you know like G and Menar, all those guys. They race with broken bones. They glue them together in Europe. You know, <laughs> so it's. But but no, I was like doing as much training as I could like right away mm-hmm. like spin bike and it hurt like every time the nerves kind of found themselves it felt like someone stabbed me with a knife in my back so it, it hurt a lot and I remember showering once and I sneezed oh my god like <laughs> people like break ribs you know and uh-huh. they sneeze they're like it's terrible I'm like oh <laughs> this was really bad I was in a lot of pain mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I didn't sneeze for a long time I bet after that but um but no like the the pump track was just part of it i was like oh i'll just dig i'll just use my back a ton as much as i can and uh it hurt but i tried to use like the best form i could like physical Mm -hmm. form and go really slow and and just made that and just rode slow and little things and got back to it had you ever built jumps or dug at all prior to the pump track yeah, I mean, jumps is a normal thing. Like, mm-hmm. I would, um, I had the poor police call them myself and my parents when we lived in Walnut. <laughs> like, because across the street was open land, and I made jumps all the time. Okay. Like, me and my buddy Drew, like, we would go make jumps behind his house and downhill tracks. So, I guess I'm skipping ahead, but, like, I dug my whole life, mm-hmm. you know, because it, I didn't have a car. I was a nerd. I was 17 and <laughs> I didn't care about going to prom or girls or whatever, uh-huh. you know, and I just rode my bike to school and rode and dug trails at the end of the day. Yeah. And it was a pretty good life. You know, it was <laughs> sweet. My parents were like, you don't care about a driver's license? I was like, no. They're like, well, we have to drive your ass around. I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but no, I, I dug my whole life and got to Colorado and like Matt and Mogan, like the the big crank crew, they kind of feel like they adopted me a little bit and I'd go dig dirt jumps there, or dig downhill trails, whatever. So, so digging was like, it's not even that I loved it. I just knew I had to do it to get what I wanted out of riding. Mm-hmm. So, so it wasn't strange to go dig, but digging that specific thing like that pump track and then some word got out and then it snowballed from there. Yeah. Let's talk about that yeah. journey into being into making trails for a living yeah i guess the the first job was um this brain surgeon in north carolina she um i did this with chris herndon and she found me and and she's like hey can you do this can you make a pump track and she wanted something that she could ride while she was on call hmm. and i'm like that's a great idea you know so we went out and there was this half pipe there's this half pipe in her yard that she wanted the pump track there in place of we okay. didn't get this info and i was like drove across <laughs> the country and and we did it but we took the half pipe to the dump and herndon will he'll remember this like we went <laughs> to the dump and this was like i'd been to a few different countries so mm-hmm. I, I thought it was cultured but then i went to this dump in tennessee and we're like can we dump this half pipe here we took it in a few loads and and the guy said something, and I, we don't know what he said. 
It was he pointed and he pointed and I looked at Herndon because I'm like, You're from here. <laughs> you know, like you should know what he's saying. And Herndon looked at me like I have no idea what this guy's saying. So we just like gave him a thumbs up, like wave, drove in, dumped the half pipe, got the next load and we did that. But <laughs> we did that and then we saw we went to um I think the doctor, like, she, she was really cool, but she's like, man, these guys are slaving away and making hardly anything. We mm. just wanted to do the project. Yeah. And she took us to this, uh, it was like a bull riding thing. It was bull mania. Okay. Close to her. And um, I remember seeing so many overweight smoking, like, 15-year-olds there. Mm. Like, it was crazy. I was mm. like, wow, this is a different part of the country than colorado or southern california you know was, <laughs> yeah. i guess bikes kind of brings it brought me all over the place and i was like oh wow there's like really different parts of the country mm-hmm. than my relatively sheltered life in socal yeah. and then colorado yeah for so, sure so yeah it was super weird yeah and you just keep going from there you're like hey you can get mm-hmm. jobs digging trails and pump tracks are taking off like there was a there seemed to be a pump track craze kind of there there was like a, to to my knowledge it was like the ones that we made were the first or that i made at first were some of the first like publicly funded ones mm. um i think wikipedia says that i made the first like modern one really yeah whoa where was that uh laurie state park and the the fix but laurie yeah, state yeah. park that yeah, was super long straightaways right With yeah like yeah 50 we, bumps in it yeah like, we made a really big one there <laughs> yeah uh-huh and that was it was cool it's like proof of concept of like this works in in conjunction with trails mm-hmm. like it's it wasn't a standalone thing but it was with dirt jumps and that was like a little mini bike park and yeah. that was i think oh five you know and that's like really early mm-hmm, as far sure. as community bike parks go yeah it's a so we did that and then the big thing it was a few years of some odd tracks here and there and people were stoked to like have something in their yard Mm. um but then we got a call from this place called sol vista and so i started up there and mihai helped me out for the first year and tj and then uh they wanted to go bigger and we brought matt in and so matt that was like was that Oh wait, that like was the 08. first year they were free. Like the lift was yeah. free. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Basically it was free. Yeah. And I remember the first meeting with them there. They're like, bikes never make money, you know, people ride these trails, you know, whatever. And but they never expected anything from it. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, if bikes ever make money, you know, you guys you guys can have our jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um <laughs> And the funny thing is, like, fast forward a few years, like, it did make money. And they were all fired and, like, changed out uh-huh. through different ways. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, it was true what they said. <laughs> um, and we didn't have their jobs, yeah. but, you know, they were turned over. But, um, but yeah, it started a whole thing at Sol Vista. Like, it was, it was so cool. I, I can't believe they let us do what we did. You know, we started as Momentum Trail Concepts at, at Sol Vista, mm-hmm. and, which is now Granby Ranch. And they rented us an excavator. We learned on the fly. And and granted, we, like, dug a lot. Like, learning on the fly sounds, like, kind of foolish. Yeah, you guys have been building trails for forever. Yeah, and, like, Matt did a ton of stuff with Slalom and downhill, all sorts of stuff around Colorado. 
he'd run races. So it wasn't like, here you go, good luck. But they still... It's kind uh, of the first machine building you guys did? Yeah, first yeah. machine building. We we learned on someone else's dime in, like, terrible soil. Mm-hmm. So th- And that's really important. Like, there's a lot of people that build with good dirt, and, God, we learned with, like, horrible dirt. And I think that made us better. Mm-hmm. You know, if... I, I remember, like, being up there and, like, what's that giant hole for? Well, we have to dig that deep to get any dirt that's going to be worth riding on. Yeah, right? yeah. D- fill it back in so it... Yep. Yeah. Yeah, depending on where it was. And and that started after going, we decided to pay for, like, training in Whistler. So I went with Matt, and we went to a Gravity Logic. I think it was a Trail Builders, like, symposium or something. And we wanted to go and, like, learn how to get better. And I vividly remember seeing, I think it was Blue Velvet being made. But there's a guy running an excavator and clearing stuff. And he ripped out a stump that was like three feet in diameter. <laughs> and I, my eyes, I don't, I don't know if they got big, but like the whole world, it was like one of those cartoons where like mm. everything zoned out. And I was like, oh, that's possible. Hmm. And that was it. I was like, oh, that's the way. Hmm. That's the way to do it. Like there's a lot of good hand cut stuff. I mean, arguably better than machine built trails, but for a bike park setting like there's nothing that's going to beat an excavator mm-hmm. and that was my first like aha moment okay. i was like i better do whatever it takes to get really good in one of those hmm. and what did it take did you i want did you ever screw it up did you ever dump one over like did you just take no. your time what happened uh, i've been like super nervous like sweating and shaking like the the scariest thing i've ever done <laughs> If anyone's listening to this, it's in Santiago. There's a trail called El Gringo, I think, like after me. Uh-huh. But we're debating like helicoptering an excavator to the top of this mountain in uh, Durazno Bike Park. It was so gnarly. I had to build the trail backwards from the bottom up. Mm-hmm. And it's just steep. There's no way to get it up there. Yeah. No reasonable way. Um, and it was the bad thing is that the dirt was all really dry you know they have a dry season that's six seven months and so nothing's going to stick together so it's really difficult to build a base that's safe and man i'd stack this rock wall that was so hard to make and it shifted under me once and there's i'd say 90 percent of the time not 97 percent of the time i don't even bother the seatbelt. Mm-hmm. like i'm so stable like you build a stable platform, build everything from there. That's usually the way to do it. 97% of the time, I don't even bother with a seatbelt. Sometimes I'm like nervous and I'll like wear the seatbelt so I don't get jostled. Mm-hmm. This was like the point one where I was like, this machine might go and I better be able to jump out because I'll die. Whoa. It was like super gnarly. <laughs> I almost quit building. Like I was like panic attack. It was like so difficult. Wow, really? Yeah. yeah. I was like, this isn't worth it. It was so hard to do. Hmm. I, it wasn't even, it was hard to do, but it was like just really dangerous. Yeah. And it was building a rock wall without a thumb. Okay. And the thumb's the thing that like holds the rocks. On the end of the, the yeah. bucket. Yeah. And so that was, um, that was really, really hard. Like, I really want to go back and just ride the trail. Cause like, just to see what it's like again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. Cra- I don't, 
I don't picture you ever getting that stressed. Yeah, you've seen me in places that are like super easy. Hmm. Um, like Amanda's shaking her head right now. Like I, she watched me build once in Vail, where um, they, it was we just call it Burmese. I think it's lower um, lower radio flyer, okay. but we always call it Burmese. And um, I was building this one section. And I was like, hey, you should come out, like check out what I do, because she never like really seen. Mm-hmm. You know, she sees the end result. But there were like five or six trees around me that, you, you know, you got to like center the machine within your build area. And then you can tuck the arm in. So I was getting dirt from this one hole and trying to build quickly. And if you build quickly, you can often spill dirt. And if you only have one or two good places to get dirt, then you got to be really smooth. So it's always a fight of go as fast as possible, spill as little dirt as possible and and don't hit the trees because if you hit the trees for one it looks ugly but you can kill hydraulic hoses all that so it was like two hours of an inch of clearance going full speed like all around and she's like i never knew you can multitask or focus that well (laughs) um so yeah that was i was like oh cool you know it's like (laughs) and and i don't know like I, i think the way you get good in a machine is like get close to your limit. I think all the time, Mm -hmm. I think that's the only way. And then you like reset what's normal. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think you go into the certain, into the forest and I think of it like you go into do plastic surgery, you know, Mm -hmm. you go in, you embellish this, you take care of that and try to make it look like you were never there. Mm. That's pretty sick. You have any projects you're most proud of? so far um i've got issues with like everything i build i'm like really hard on myself with that but i uh it's it's weird you know in the we talked about the windows earlier in the in the sales front i think i do an exceptionally bad job of this with some of our clients they're like you stoked and like the client wants you to be stoked yeah. Because they, they want you to be stoked in what they have. And I'm just kind of solemn sometimes. I'm like, yeah, it'll give me two years. I'm going to see how it does. Like, I, I really want to see, like, the long term. Because hmm. I'm not, I'm not like, superficial stoked on everything right now guy. Mm-hmm. You know, I want it to really last. Is it is any of it, like, hindsight? Like, oh, I should have done this? Or is it more just you need patience to see how the trail actually holds up? Yeah, I just want to learn from it. Like, I just want to get better. And, but, but I've seen some stuff where that looks really pretty and it's, I've seen so there's a bunch of garbage on Instagram that looks squared off and nice and perfect. And that'll just never last without care. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it last. Mm-hmm. Um, I more want people to spend more time on the riding than the digging, like the digging's our job, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I'm more five-year guy you know like i want stuff to be really good is that something you guys have to fight like the aesthetic versus the the longevity of the trail or do most people kind of trust what you do most people trust what we do like i've got enough time now and like we have clients that know our work Mm -hmm. that it's not an issue you know some people want it to we usually want it to be better than what the client does um 
But one thing I'm super proud of is Magic Forest and Vale. Like that was a really cool project. Mm. Um, it was only like seven days, but we kind of redid like the whole feel of that trail. It's super cool. There's there's really good wear as far as like wear characteristics on it. That's mm. really spread out. Um, there's different options for different speeds. You know, there's lots of goals. Um, it's got a lot of elements of riding that I love. Mm. And so that's a really cool trail segment. Uh, Lee's Way Down is pretty awesome. That's in Avon, Colorado. Okay. Um, that's a really good trail, mostly because it kind of proved some things wrong. Like at that point, I think that was 2014. There's this idea and trails that's i think relatively toxic like you can't go more than six percent or eight or whatever the percentage is and what steepness of steepness of grade for erosion or this or that and i just think that's wrong it like pigeonholes everything into this grade that sucks Mm. and and it sucks for everyone it doesn't it's just fine for some people it's fine for some trails It, it should be used for some trails but for like a black diamond descent or something like that, you can do better. You know, you can make a black diamond descent really gnarly if it goes uphill in the right situation. You know, it's not that, I just think pigeonholing one number to a trail like is really crappy. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, Lee's Way Down, it's, I think it's like 12% overall grade and it gets hammered, like tons of riders. And it takes like, it takes a few hours of work from like our like professional crew a few hours a year and it's like done hmm. that's all the maintenance like because we put the forces in the right spot and and there's some other good builders that do that too but but you can have the rider and the riding line be totally different than what water goes through or anything else it's just knowing where to put the different forces hmm. yeah how much politics and kind of drama is there with all this stuff how do you deal with a client that says i want x and you know x is a bad idea and Um, comparing your work to someone else's that you know isn't good but you know i i think there were more politics early on like we went to a trail building seminar a different one because like we just were voracious for for learning Mm -hmm. we went to this thing in north carolina and like I really want to learn how to make a better turn. Like that was my goal. Mm-hmm. And going there is like how to get the city project, how to bid this dollar amount per foot, $7 a foot or $3 or 10, whatever it is, mm-hmm. how to get this uh, municipality to sign on to your thing. Um, all of it was stuff I couldn't care less about. And Matt didn't care. Mm-hmm. Moga didn't care. It was, I was like, this is bullshit. Was like, that the whole seminar? Like the whole event was about that kind of stuff? The business end? Most of it, yeah. Yeah. It, I was just like so bummed out. I was like, let's make the trail better. Yeah. Like make the experience better. But no one's doing like an experience learning workshop. You know? So we're like, at that point, we're like, we just got to like mess up, learn from it and keep getting better. I, I felt like we were pretty alone hmm. in the trail world. Mm-hmm. Do you, so, do you feel like other builders are catching up? There's there's or, other great builders, you know. Like I, I mean, the gravity. Almost everyone knows Gravity Logic. Those guys are shredders. 
they're like really good riders and really good builders. But sometimes people get pigeonholed into what the client wants because we've done so many builds where the client's like, wow, you moved all this dirt. This is great. We could never have done this before. They're like, here's $10,000, let's say. Like, okay, cool. And that could be crap. That build could be just garbage, but it looks spectacular, Hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then we could lay out this awesome single track that wears in just from tires. And it could be correct with drainage, all this stuff. And you charge a client that same 10,000, they're like, what? You didn't do anything. Like you just rake the hillside. You just rake the hillside, you know? But there's like value in both. There's value. And I'm in the five-year camp where it's like, no, this will wear in correctly. Mm-hmm. There's so many flow trails that have like worn in like poorly or get skidded away or whatever. But they still pay them, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I'm i more experience-based than what... Um, I think a lot of people might be that some people just want to be out there and dig and I don't like, I want to make something awesome, mm. you know, but some people love to get out there and high five and have beers after. And, and that's generally not us, mm. you know, we'll like go home and, or whatever place we're renting and be like hypercritical of each other. <laughs> you know, yeah. like it's not even fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, Like, how do we get this experience for this rider and make this experience for that rider? And, you know, like I saw the Boise Park here and Kyle Jamison was building it and and it looked awesome. You know, people are having fun and like, that guy's a good rider, he gets it. Mm -hmm. You know, and like there's tons of good riders that are good good trail builders too, but there's a business side too. and, And I feel pretty lucky, like the people who choose us now I, I feel like we don't get any kickback or much. You know, here in Boise, like, they raised money for a long time to have us here. Mm-hmm. And they're like, go do your thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how crazy is that in this world, you <laughs> Just know? Just let you go do it. Yeah. yeah. And so, so that's a lot of that's a lot of faith they have in us. So I, I feel like we don't get too much kickback now. Yeah. But that's like, that's after doing it for 15 years. Yeah. Are there too many flow trails in the world? No, no, I don't think so. No, how come? Well, I, I don't. All most of my friends who uh, really know me, they're like, "Oh yeah, Steve hates on these flow trails. He <laughs> hates them, hates them." And but um, I hated him more before. But I, I, I'll really only hate on a flow trail if it went over a trail that was fun in the first place. Hmm. You know, if there's some single track trail that's awesome and there's line choice and all that. And you go over it and make some crappy flow trail, that's garbage. Mm-hmm. You know, like that sucks. Mm-hmm. But if something pops up that's a flow trail that there was nothing there before, like I don't care. Mm-hmm. That's just some other option for someone. You know, I don't I don't care that In N Out has something else on the menu. I'm gonna get a cheeseburger. <laughs> you know, what's it bother it doesn't bother me at all yeah. that there's some other option that I don't <laughs> use. But but no, like if it gets more people on bikes, like a lot of people it's not that they want a flow trail. They want to feel comfortable. They don't want to feel like they're falling off a cliff. And I think if people get outside and get on trails, that's a good thing. Okay. You don't think the requests for flow trails are, are, are way outnumbering the requests for natural trails? Uh, they are. They're, they're way outnumbering requests for natural trails. But Okay. Do you think that's – is there any 
going to be any issue with that down the line? No, I, that's just learning though. Like, I think that's learning for like municipalities or trail areas, you know, like I, and I think it's a matter of the long game. The same as my view on trails. Like I'm not stoked on anything usually like day of, but like in Reno, I volunteered my time for this one trail and it was kind of a flow trail. They wanted it, but the trail's imperfect. It's called Colpo Canyon, the people who live there. And it's, it was redoing an old alignment. Like my hands were kind of tied with some things and like, it's fun, Mm -hmm. but it's not perfect by any means. The only good thing is that it like gained some trust with the local uh, people in charge of the trails. Then after that, I did some other stuff in the canyon and it was like narrower and rockier and there's like a, like blind jump options and, and it was like way different, you know? So the flow trail kind of earned some trust to do something else that was more natural and raw. Yeah. So I see a lot of purpose in that. Okay. want to hear hate on flow trails <laughs> just kidding no <laughs> i'll hate on flow trails man <laughs> like they the the flow trails that are terrible they follow the same formula i go uphill a lot before this turn and mm-hmm. kill your speed you know it's it i think flow trails are like the romantic comedies of of the mountain bike world you know like you you look at some of these romantic comedies and in hollywood it's like, oh, you get some hot actor, you know, male or female, whatever, and there's some like laughs. This is easy fodder. This is there's no deep thinking involved, okay. you know. Yeah. And you go through, you you're entertained for a little bit, then you go home, and that's it. But then there's some comedies that like you take Office Space, mm-hmm. you know, like that's something that's different. You think you watch it a couple times, it's a little different. Oh, I got that joke. Oh, I got that joke, and I think if you make a flow trail right, like you can let someone go home and go to bed and think, well, that was cool. I want to ride that again. And then if they ride it again, they see something else. If they go a half a mile per hour faster and it makes them think of something else or some other option opens up in their mind, then that's really cool. Hmm. You know, then they go, then they go home like, I can't wait to ride it tomorrow. I want to do that line, hmm. you know, and it, it could be the same basic formula but if you change the script a little bit then it can be something that has highs and lows and it has some some hope built in you know like i want to get that thing so so that's just it's a similar format you know to a i guess a boring one but i feel like if your builder is is competent or can build to to some different levels then you can have stuff hidden for those beginners or intermediates and they're not going to feel bad because they didn't do this double or whatever. Mm. They're going to have a great time. Mm-hmm. But if there's options for, you know, someone else, then then there's still an aspirational component to the pro. All right, you've sold me. Let's go ride some flow trails. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> What's the most important part on your bike? If you're going to upgrade one thing. Oh, man. I think the, I think your tires. Are you, you know. a, are you a heavy casing, grippy tire kind of guy? Seems to be in vogue right now. Is you have I'm to a, overtire your bike? I'm a, I'm a heavy casing, fast rolling tire 
Like I don't even want the grippiest rubber. Like it, that's good if you're on routes or if you're racing, but I want to have a consistent uh, casing if I'm jumping or landing sideways or something. But I'd rather have like a harder rubber um, so I roll fast, and that just means you're going to get into the corner sketchier, faster. <laughs> so, that, I mean, that's more fun, you uh-huh. know? Like, I don't, want, I don't want it to be boring. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <clears throat> you, you seem, you know, you've done testing with us for, for years, and you always seem really diplomatic about the bikes. You're, really? And, and we talk, yeah. Yeah, in a good way. Like I haven't ridden the Ellsworth. That thing was garbage. <laughs> well, isn't that a fair? Yeah. Okay. I, I look at the like in the in our cheap bike test, you know, last yeah. year or whatever. That the giant, the one we almost didn't even want in, based on the numbers. Uh huh. You found it to be super fun. Like it seems like yeah. you're willing to embrace a bike for what it is. Yeah, the, so yeah, the giant. Why is that? When everyone else is like, that bike sucks. It's 67 and a half degree head angle or whatever axle on the back. It was, there was purpose to that bike. You know, like there's, what was it? I think the Vitus was mm-hmm. like slack with like bigger suspension. That was like, yeah, on paper, like the most yeah. fun looking one. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And like that one was fun for me to ride. But I mean, there's a lot of tests that, you have someone who's shredding like a pro on this like intro bike and that just doesn't happen. You know, like you got to put yourself in the shoes of who's going to buy it. And I think most people who buy that, let's say 1500 to $2,000 bike, they're getting their feet wet. You know, they're trying it out. They don't need something with the front wheel that flops over, you know, like it's, it's better for them to have something that's simple. That's relatively light. They can make up to the top and, and then it works just fine on the way down, you know, but that giant wasn't trying to do anything crazy. You know, it wasn't everything fit. The handling was just as good as the tires would allow, you know, and mm-hmm. the gearing was just fine. It wouldn't go a million miles an hour cause it was too sketchy and the brakes wouldn't slow you down from a million, mm-hmm. you know, but it, it all worked as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, do you think, <clears throat> We talked a little bit about this earlier when you guys were eating, but that sentiment of having adjuster knobs not actually do anything. <laughs> do you think there's yeah. too much choice for for people out there with their bikes? Um, and not to like, it's so fun to play around and screw around and just think stuff matters, but. Yeah, I don't know. Like we were talking about like trucks with all the, gizmos and stuff on the Uh side you know external fuel cans or whatever like everyone's got a tent on their truck and like that's awesome for those people like not for me i don't want anything else i just want the truck to work (laughs) and i don't want anything flashy on it and i'm kind of the same with my bike like i once i set my bike up i don't usually touch it okay so i think most people like bikes are a some of it's, I think, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, people want the nice new thing and the shiny, flashy parts. Um, they want the Kashima coating, you know, because it's a little better and it looks fancy. But, like, the regular one's pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'd rather spend money on a trip. Okay. What's your setup right now? What are you riding? Uh, I have a Transition Scout, and uh, I have aspirations to race some XC and get a little faster 
for that. So I have a spur too. But <laughs> but um no, but uh, the but transition riders XC race bike. Yeah, yeah. Um I'm going to be the one that quits when someone passes <laughs> me on the uphill. <laughs> but uh, but no, I I love my Scout. It's I mean, I, I have a downhill bike, so I I don't feel like I need the big long travel enduro bike. Mm-hmm. Um they're fun to have for sure, but I want something that's really responsive that tells me when I mess up and rewards you when you do it well. So it's got um what is it? It's Roval wheels on it and around the butcher in the front, eliminator in the back. And um I run I'm not sponsored by McGur or anything, but I I really like their brakes. They're the worst brakes to work on in mm-hmm. the world, but they work well. <laughs> I really like how they work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to run it like one by seven, like drivetrain, like the DH like block. downhill cassette? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was like a 32 <laughs> and downhill cassette. Uh-huh. But I was thinking like, man, I'm getting old and soft, you know? <laughs> so I got a, and I was remembering how I'd ride the old Cheetah to the works, mm-hmm. to the workshop, you know? I was like, man, I'd rather ride this big ass bike over a huge hill. And, and now I'm just super lazy. I've got what a 3250 in the back. Mm-hmm. Like that's <laughs> crap. I just need to stand up and pedal harder. So I would, and I'd, I'd be like super bored and like people wouldn't ride with me. Cause I'd either, I'd either complain about the gearing I put on my own bike mm-hmm. <laughs> or I would ride fast enough that I wouldn't ride with anyone else. So mm-hmm. like rides sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I changed that out. I just got a 1050 on there, nice. but, um, <laughs> but no, it's what? a, it's a 36 in the front and okay. yeah, I'm yeah. stoked on it. Did you have a Z1 on there for a while though? Yeah. 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 Like I, I love the Z1. I, well, it's like, I mean, I've written, there's good stuff from rock shocks and Fox and mm-hmm. all the people, but yeah. like, I love the Z1 cause it worked really well and it was cheaper and it was like a little heavier, but it worked great. Yeah. Like it, it's more along my idea that bike should be a little heavier a little tougher and a little cheaper without all the adjustments because mm-hmm. i think that just you know you hear it with with e-bikes now people are like oh e-bikes are crazy expensive there's just this theory that they are mm-hmm. and some are for sure but like i found one for my dad and and he got a it was a giant something or other it was thirty six hundred dollars and we went on a mountain bike ride and it was great mm-hmm. you know so it was like he got a e-bike that was just fine it was less than four grand and, mm-hmm. but the idea is that the bikes are astronomically expensive and they're out of reach and i think that sucks because because yeah. that stops some people from getting into it and so i think the same of you know a regular mountain bike it, mm-hmm. there should be this thing that a two thousand dollar bike or three you know whatever it is can be great mm-hmm. yeah what do you think about e-bikes for people, for regular people, not your dad. I mean, I couldn't care less. It's, it's just another way to ride a bike. Yeah. I mean, I ride a dirt bike and I ride a mountain bike and e-bikes somewhere in between. Have like you I, ridden them much? Yeah, I've ridden them a little bit, but it's yeah. I don't know. I just I don't see why there are opinions on each side. I see some people like. Well, Amanda and I, we were riding up in Reno last week and we came across a group of four people. They were probably 50 to 65 years old, mm-hmm. all four of them on e-bikes. And uh, the the one guy, 
the one guy who was like the fittest. He had the the specialized, like the really nice one. I think the Turbo Levo SL. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I was like, how much does that thing weigh? Because I was wondering which one it was. Mm-hmm. He's like, this one's 40 pounds. It was like the step down from the super dope one. Yep. He's like, yeah, it's awesome. But he would tune his power down and the other people would tune their power up and they could all ride together. And like, mm-hmm. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I hadn't ridden with my dad for... 15 years you know on like a real ride mm-hmm. and we rode in trucky and he had a great time yeah that's cool so like there's some people that don't like the e-bikes but they're usually like the thump your chest like i've earned this for 20 years i'm like well you can still earn it if you just shut up <laughs> you know like i don't <laughs> i couldn't care less uh-huh. you know it's just another way to ride a bike cool how often do you ride your downhill bike not often enough. <laughs> do you just usually lift? Do you shuttle once in a while? Or Yeah, I mean, Reno's great for shuttling for a few places here and there. But um, usually I'd ride, well, I rode in Brianhead, which was great this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get to ride in Vail. But I'm trying to think, like, I really like riding in Mammoth. Like, rode there some this year. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Rode North Star. Um, like, North Star, they need to make their bike park better. It's like... <laughs> It's been thoroughly like mediocre for so long, <laughs> but they have a captive audience yeah. and I actually like it cause it's like blown out and like all banged up, uh-huh. you know? So that's what a downhill bike's for. Uh-huh. You know, there's so <laughs> many people that are like, man, North star sucks. It's all, it's awful or whatever. It's so loose and blown out. I don't want to ride there. And I'm like, North Star's awful. It's loose and blown out, and I want to ride there. <laughs> that's why. You know, like that's why, you know, some people are like, what's your favorite trail? I'm like, it's conditions dependent, but mm-hmm. I want something that's like super unsustainable, like Rudy or Lomi or whatever. Uh-huh. I just want some garbage. I don't know. I'm like, feel like I'm going to die and yeah. then make it out. Like those are the rides that you remember. <laughs> so, <laughs> but no, like the downhill bike's great. Like I'll ride my bike and I don't know wherever I can, but I feel like I'm gearing up to go do Boulder city. If, if the races happen, I don't know if that's going to be a thing. Yeah. Ooh, Boulder city. Yeah. Do you have a go-to favorite trail? Like if you could narrow a single trail down to your favorite ever, is there one? I really like some stuff down uh, by my parents and Elisa. Like I'll go visit them for Christmas or something. And there's a lot of stuff that's like pretty good around Reno, but there's nothing that's great. Um, But yeah, as far as a go-to, like I'll go do, like I love Five Oaks and Rocket and that stuff. Mm -hmm. Like. I'll go do some laps on that. And okay. I love it. Yeah. I'll go try to do meadows and feel like I'm racing slalom. Uh-huh. Cool. But yeah, I feel like those are the go-tos. Okay. Yeah. The old backyard hood, huh? Yep. yep. All right. If you could change one thing about mountain biking, its current state, what would you change? Um, I don't know. It's pretty good. The, the only bad part is like it's fairly like elitist right now. As far as like a barrier for entry, it's really high. You know, there's a lot of uh, costs associated with it. You know, even the bike rack to get your stuff to the trails, you know, those are six, seven hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, f- I feel like the, the costs are something that are, um, if, if all the development in the world could go away from carbon frames, and all that stuff and go to like 
a cheaper, heavier bike, you know, that'd be great, you know, if it got a little tougher. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I feel like the the general industry, if you would have said, let's say in 2002, bikes are going to get heavier and more expensive, um, is that the way you want to go? People would be like, oh, hell no. Mm-hmm. But that's exactly the way it went. You know, bikes got a lot heavier and more expensive. <laughs> and people are buying stuff at the super high end. Mm. And, you know, like my bikes are super nice. Like I've got the best wheels on there and the best suspension and carbon frames. And they're awesome. But if I could snap my fingers and go away from that, like, yeah, for sure. If my bike was 33 pounds instead of 31, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'd still go down the hill just fine and and be be great. Yeah. But he can't snap. <laughs> See, that's why. Like if I could snap my fingers, uh-huh. but no. <laughs> I can't. It's not you can't make the wish come true. It's that you can't snap. Yeah. What um what should we ask Amanda to ask Steve? Go. What if what if I messed up the worst on your bike? Because as far as our marriage vows, um, I'm supposed to take care of the bikes. Yeah, that was actually, yeah. That, that, was that, actual is, that is oh, yeah. an actual vow. So yeah. he has to take care of bikes and motos. I have to make sure that any mess in the bedroom is on my side of the bed and he has a clear path to the bathroom. Um, yeah, I don't want to trip when I'm delirious and just wake up, have to go pee. Yeah, what else were in? Oh, I have to laugh at his jokes. That also, I made, that's, that's, if you're asking what I messed up on, I think I messed up on that one. Yeah. (laughs) So no matter what, no matter how bad his joke is, and I think it includes puns too, which I think is where I read, like I should have, I should have had like a disclaimer on that one. Like maybe. Because I always wonder why you laugh at his jokes because you're so dumb sometimes. Because I'm contractually bound. legally bound to laugh at his jokes. Exactly. Exactly. Fair enough. But yeah, I get all this positive reinforcement from her because she, I guess, has to vocalize that I'm funny, even if she doesn't think so. Just, yeah, because I'm around, like, assholes all day. Like, my work guys, like, they're the, they're the best and the worst, you know, but they're, like, harsh on me. So I get beat down, like, daily as far as, uh, as, far as my self-confidence. So I say something stupid, she laughs. She's like, oh, you're funny, and pats me on the head, you know. It's pretty much what I'm doing in my head all the time. Yeah. Oh, oh good job. Oh, oh, you, oh, you thought that was funny? Yeah. Do you have a nickname for him at all? I do. <laughs> oh, if it's private, it can stay private. <laughs> but, but, yeah, it's just a little. We have little pet names okay. for each other. Cool. Yeah. Moga, do you have a pet name for him? No. None? No. He calls me a lunatic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some names aren't podcast appropriate, yeah. I suppose. And some are definitely not politically correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is. I get, I get, I get called lazy. All the stuff, you know. It, it's weird. Like, you go back to the machine stuff, you know, for the, for the building. I feel like it, it's one of those, like, I think it's Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hour things. Like I've spent a lot of time in it and I would spend like all the extra time. And, and then eventually I was like, I got to get out of this thing. 
you know it's like it's sometimes it's like kind of really tedious and torturous to be in the same spot like all day or not make progress the worst thing is if you build in a machine you almost never get to see like a good finished product so that's like really hard on the psyche but then because you're just start to finish and once you're done you're you're yeah well we have different roles you know like we'll do different things and Mm -hmm. let's say moga makes something that i made a base for he finishes and makes it look really good he gets to like enjoy that part Mm -hmm. you know and you're a shaper yeah. Yeah. You'd show up to Lake Arbor and just shape lips. You wouldn't help move yeah. water and dirt, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a that's a Zygmunt, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Dave. Um, but no, it's 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 weird with that stuff. But anyway, like I get branded as like lazy and everything else. Like you just sit on your fat ass all day and <laughs> just operate. Yeah, just operate some joysticks, which is true, but. If I get out for like five minutes, I'll work like really hard for five minutes, make it look like I'm doing something, you know. <laughs> Do you ever, have you ever like woke up in the middle of the night doing joystick moves with your hands or like, do you ever have no you know, dreams or anything like that? Well, I have had some dreams. Like I've had some hard sections that I'm trying to figure out how to build. Cause like there's a, it almost anyone could with enough time could build like a cool section. Mm-hmm. They just redo it, you know, a thousand times. But there's some really hard stuff I was trying to figure out. And like I had a dream of like how to do it. And I woke up. I was like, cool, I know how to do it and did it. That's pretty sick. Yeah, so it was cool. So, so yeah, it's like very all-encompassing sometimes. It's good. Sleep's important. Being lazy and sleeping is important. Yep. Yep. We miss anything? Anything you want to talk about? No, I don't know. Like it. Plus size tires? Um, your favorite oh, those are those are the worst mm-hmm. plus size tires it's like the worst of both worlds <laughs> you roll a little slow and you can't go on the beach either like that's <laughs> terrible <laughs> um no i don't know like i i feel like i got a pretty good life but it's it's cool to give people some cool experiences on the bike and let them step out and feel alive for a bit when's silky johnson 2.0 coming Never. If it stops raining in Boise, you'll have one here. But oh, really? it's just yeah, it's just rain. Well, this one has like some jumps on it, so it's not like just turns. Okay. That actually, that's one of our favorite trails because we all built it, and Dude, that, awesome. that was that was um, it was funny because all the trails that year we named after Chappelle Show characters, <laughs> so it was great. Like it was uh, I think it was. Silky Johnson, there's Buck Nasty, there's Ashy Larry. Mm-hmm. Stuff would never fly now. But yeah. yeah, we got to do some cool stuff there yeah. at Sol Vista. So. But yeah, it was everyone was asking for like a jump trail, jump trail, jump trail. We still never made one. Really? Yeah, like, like a top to bottom jump we trail. We haven't there, made it like a top to bottom jump trail. Like because I, I like that just jumps yeah, just forces it into the wrong spots and like it it's not cool. You know, it's I feel like trails should go with the terrain a little more. You know, it's not everything has to be a jump. So anyway, it was like 80 turns in a row. And <laughs> people were like, oh, it's the best ever. It was. Everyone loved that trail. Yeah. So. Cool. We'll so yeah, that was the answer to the previous of what's trail you're proud of. That okay. one was really cool. Cool. Good. Thanks, dude. Yeah. yeah. No, it was fun thanks talking. Thanks for the memories and thanks for the trails. Yeah, it yeah. was... Uh, I'm surprised you dug into the windows so much. 
It was, Dude, when uh, you told me that, that I was that blew me away because one, I hate sales. I would never want to go door to door to do anything. And I think it's because. Do you tell me if you said if they came at you with a certain price, you could knock them down like sixty percent, and they'd still probably go. It was usually like, th- yeah, I had price control like thirty to forty percent. Okay, you could move Maybe a 40%. lot. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm just hoping for a window salesperson to come by my house to see if it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did it work for you? Yeah. <laughs> right, so there you go. Yeah. So it's no, it's good. No, it's uh, I gotta say thanks to my parents. Like they're awesome. Yeah. So they're um, they'd work super hard and they they gave me a lot of chances as far as uh, I mean, I dropped out of college and scared them to death with getting hurt, all this stuff, and they. They always had my back, so it was cool. Awesome. And your mom gave you really good advice. Yeah, yeah. My mom, my mom's like kind of a. She can be kind of cold, like when she should be, mm-hmm. um, in a really good way. Where like I dropped out of college, I was like I want to race, I want to, and I want to build. And it, it was a weird time in like oh, I think it was oh seven oh eight when we decided to do Sol Vista. That's when I was like. I'm essentially giving up on racing full time. Okay. I I had to make a decision at that point to like do bike park and building and all that. Mm. So that's one decision I made of I'm doing this for like career. Mm. But then it turned into like pride of work after that. It just took a while. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, my mom was like if you're going to quit college and if you're going to do the building stuff, you better be the best at it. And I was like, okay done yeah nice cool thanks man yeah it was good good talking appreciate the (laughs) the time and you tolerating me not snapping whistling i can't believe you just thought i was i'd never whistle (laughs) at cute girls you thought i was like a decent person i knew that wasn't the case it's just because i can't (laughs) (laughs) 